Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 4. Along with uh, Pastor Chris's series, um, I've titled this Isaiah's Song. Isaiah's Song. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The text I'm going to be dealing with is through verse 20, but I want us to read through verse 30. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and I'm going to to be reading through verse 30. I'm going to be reading through the ESV. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they had heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up, drove him, this is Jesus, out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I had a professor at Bible college who wrote a book called 10 Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. That was not the original title that he had pitched to the publishers. Um, He had pitched the idea of saying 10 things I hate about Jesus. And he thought that it would be a a provocative title to write for everyone but the publishers didn't agree at all, so they changed the name for him. But when he told me the story, it's true. If you write that, you'll get a lot more people wanting to read that book than just Christians. The Christians might find that a little bit odd, but it might be a little bit offensive. 
So let me ask you this question. What do you find offensive about Jesus? Do you, are you offended by him? We will see more about that role reversal from those who love Jesus to those who want to throw him off of a cliff because of the offense he brought. So let me ask again, as you read through this, did you find anything offensive about Jesus? Let's see first those who are amazed by the good news. Now, we didn't read the whole of of chapter 4, but our text comes off of the heels of our Lord gaining victory over the evil one in the wilderness. John Piper puts it like this. Jesus returns like David, having bound Goliath of Satan in the wilderness, and now he is ready to go on the offense and rout the Philistines and set the captives free. So that's just a bit of a context of what he's come to do. This isn't Jesus just like any old rabbi coming back to his hometown. He's on a mission. He's on a mission to set the captives free. And the next time we see him in action is when he is asked to do the reading of the scriptures in the synagogue. And so we find Jesus with the scroll rolling down to Isaiah 61, and he is reading about the promised one by the prophet who would be full of the spirit and the servant of the Lord who would come and give restoration to Israel. He would proclaim good news to the poor. He would proclaim release, you have the word liberty, release, to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and provide release to the oppressed. And he would proclaim that this is the year of the Lord's favor. And it would, that specific notion is specific to, in Leviticus, is the year of Jubilee. All of these things are Old Testament markings that we need to just bring to the surface to help us better understand. They're tied up into Isaiah, and this is nothing less than the promise of Israel's final restoration. Hopefully you heard it in our reading of Isaiah 61, that this servant will give, I know ESV is a little bit strange, but you you would recognize this, I even heard Will, and I even said it, beauty for ashes. That's what the servant would give. Generations that had been punished would be, when this particular servant comes, he would come proclaiming God's restoration. All that misery, all that oppression, all of that time in, the, in, in exile would be erased, and they would return to the land, and their fortunes would be restored. That's what they were so hopeful for as God's people they would all be put into their proper place according to their tribe, according to their clan, and to all the memories of devastation would soon be a thing of the past. And nothing but joy would remain in the nation of Israel. This is what they're waiting for as a people. As far as the promises in the Old Testament go, this is one as a people of Israel that you would have taken to the bank. This promise was going to happen as if you suffered the indignity of being one of the people of Israel, being dispossessed of your own place, being told of the discouraging story of a people, stories of hope, stories of redemption, 
they would surely be a hope that they would hold on close to. And no doubt, Israel herself in Luke's gospel were still waiting. So as you're reading this, as I read through Luke 4, this is what the people in the synagogue, this is what they're waiting for. They long for a day when they would no longer have the Romans on their, on their land. They long for a day when God's king would be enthroned on the throne where they, where, where this king would do Israel's bidding, where they as a nation would be enthroned over all nations as before. And the story in, in Isaiah's prophecy became part of the story of Israel's future because it has to be read in light of the year of Jubilee, which we find in Leviticus 25. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Isaiah was read by Jews hearing, when they were hearing this, they were hearing that the restoration to Israel in Isaiah 61 would be God's jubilee for them. This once and final jubilee where everything that was once promised and expected in Leviticus would be given to them, to us, from God. Well, a little bit of background for jubilee. Just stick with me. Every seventh day, there is a Sabbath day, which was Saturday for them. And every seven years, there was a Sabbath year. And every seven years, there were, they were to let the ground go fallow, not farm it, not cultivate it. They weren't to farm it, not cultivate it. They would just let the land sit there. And God promised them that if they do that, he said, don't worry about this, because on the sixth year, I will provide you enough crops for year six, year seven, and enough food for year eight. And in so doing, this will show everyone, everyone watching, that you are my people, that you trust me, and that this land is mine, and that I provide for you. So after every week, there's a Sabbath. After every six years, there's a Sabbath year. And then after every set of seven years, this is 49, there is a Sabbath which we call Jubilee. And in that year, like other years, you were to let your land sit, not farm it. But 49th year. If you were, at some point, dispossessed of your land, if you were in some financial trouble, and for whatever reason, you were not in your appointed land, and it was on the year of Jubilee, it would be returned to you. If you, for whatever reason, were indebted to someone, that you became their indentured servant, that you were doing their bidding, you were no longer your own person, you were no longer on your own property, at the end of that 49th and 50th year, you would be released from your indentured servanthood and released back to your own people, clan, own possessions would become yours. And so it is no surprise the language used in Leviticus, which you hear in Isaiah, which you hear in Luke, the proclamation of year 49 of the year of Jubilee is this. Release to those who are captive. Release. To proclaim liberty to the captive. So Jubilee is a release from captivity. And so, when you have this promise in Isaiah 61 about the servant of the Lord who would be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
And he is speaking this release, this, this liberty to you. But no longer because you have lost your land. Because when Isaiah is speaking, where are they? They are in, in exile. For this people is now hearing this promise, and they are hearing this when it comes to Jubilee, that they would become a people reconstituted as a people of God. They would be released from their captivity. This is what they're hearing. Restoration of Israel with every tribe from their captivity, given their territory, and everyone will be free with their own place, and all their debts, all their punishments would be forgiven. So these are two things that we have to keep in the back of our minds. Year of Jubilee and the restoration of exile. And it is amazing then that if you are in debt, the idea of jubilee is good news, is great news. I mean, if you were so in debt that you lost your property and then the 49th year comes, that property is yours again. But if, let's go on the other side of that coin, if you're someone's servant and you are offering them your service, you're the boss, you're not that happy. It is, not good, it is not that good news to the person who has the land at that moment or losing their people who are their servants. But this is God's way of making sure of combating abuse in Israel. This is a way of God making sure that people knew who God's people were and that they always would return to their portion of land that he had given them. And it was also a way of stating that Israel were never to be an an eternal servant to anyone. And it was the the promise to Israel as God and their father. I mean, can you imagine this? I mean, we we don't really get that. But just imagine the student loans, forgiven. Bankruptcy, undone. Repossessed car, back in the garage. I mean, the foreclosure is back in your hand. Everything is undone. Everything is reset. As if it never happened. That is really good news. If you are someone, if you are someone who happened to get themselves into a lot of trouble, yet it is not good news if you are the one who is responsible, who keeps himself out of financial difficulty. But you see, the problem with the story is that Israel never did it. They never kept the Sabbaths. They never kept the year of Jubilee. They never let the land grow fallow. They never stopped farming. And they trusted that God would provide for all their needs in those three years, even with them farming. And we know this according to when God says that he has chosen how long his people were going to go into exile. He tells them, therefore, for 70 Sabbaths, you will go into exile so that the land may may rest and lie fallow. And so I want you to understand this. Once in exile, that's when God's promises start to come to fruition. God's prophets start to speak. Those things that they promise start to happen. And the promises that God would send someone to proclaim that the exile is over 
and you have been released from your captivity. The land is yours, your debt is forgiven and repaid, and all will be well, and your God will be with you once again. You see, this is the text that Jesus is reading in the synagogue. And he sits down in verse 20, if you look at that, verse 20 and 21, and he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So all that about jubilee, restoration of God's people, has just happened. And the people were amazed, not because the sermon was short, but because this was the news that they had been waiting for. In and around the Gospels, we will continue to read about this, but not a lot of people believed in what Jesus was saying. I mean, if you read in Luke 4, what did they say about Jesus. That's Joseph's son, you know? Yet he says this very important thing, and he is saying something that we have been waiting for a very long time. I mean, what is the promise that, that, that they, would be, that they were, uh, were waiting for? That the servant full of the Spirit would proclaim this, release from all captivity, and Jesus said, I am that servant. I read the words, just, just as it has happened. Everything that just happened that Isaiah had promised is coming to pass right now through me and through my ministry. That's what Jesus says. And verse 22 says that they, had, they were enthralled by what he had said. That favorite sermon that you know, that you've heard before, that's the feeling, that wonderment, that, that enthrallment that you feel, that's what they felt. Because they were hearing exactly what they were waiting for. A release from all their problems, a restoration to all that, that they had wanted was good in Israel. A return to freedom. I mean, if you had heard this, you would be excited. A return to freedom, a removal of oppression and an enriching of an impoverished people, because they were poor. They weren't the top dog at all. A healing of all their diseases. But this is what they were thinking, and if he was bringing them that, then they were all in. Well, this feeling doesn't last long. In the moment, they were filled with joy, with the news of joy, and the very next moment, they're enraged with him. And what Jesus would say next would draw their excitement to a halt. I mean, I just want you to feel, feel it in the room. They're excited. And then what he just says next is like, you could have just stopped right there and we would have been good. What does he say? The thing is, they didn't understand what he was saying. This is what he says. I know, if you read on, I know what you are going to want from me. You're going to want some signs, some wonders, right? You, you, you say do some good things like you did in Capernaum so that we can believe in you, right? I mean, we know that you're Joseph's son. And if you do some things to prove the claim that you are, are saying, like it says in Isaiah, we will follow you. And then he says... To them, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, you will ultimately reject me. I mean, look what happened. 
As you read on into the stories of Elijah and Elisha, Elijah came proclaiming God's word to Ahab, the Israelite king, and he was rejected. So he had to go to live where? Among the Gentiles. So God brought about a famine and there were widows all over Israel. I mean, what was the command? To take care of widows. But there were widows all over Israel and they weren't doing that. And so God brought about a famine and God said to Elijah, go and feed the widow where? In Israel? No. In Zarephath. This widow is starving. And so he left Israel alone. Then the other story about Elisha. There were lepers throughout the land of Israel. And the land during the time of Elisha had sworn enemies all around it. And these enemies of Syria wanted to exterminate Israel. And Elisha was sent not to Israel, who had for themselves loads of lepers all over. Elisha was sent by God to heal One leper, not an Israelite, but a Gentile Syrian army commander, Naaman. And this commander, once he was strong enough, believe it or not, would want to conquer Israel. I'm sure of that. So Jesus is saying that those situations are a lot like this situation because this is what is going to happen next. And just like the crowd goes from really excited to really angry, I mean, they're going to push him off the brow of the hill. They wanted to stone Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? There are two ways to stone someone. You throw rocks at them, or you throw them on the rocks. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to execute Jesus right then and there. I mean, you have to hear what he is saying. The people were just elated that their needs would finally be met. The promised servant would come, would restore everything. They would be the top of the pops. Their land would be returned. Their poverty would be no more. Their oppressors would be removed. I mean, Jesus is saying two things. He's saying that right now, just as Isaiah said, this person would come. And he did. Secondly, the people that you think are oppressors are going to be receiving the things that you are waiting for. This promise would not just be for you but it would be to you and the Gentiles. So freely that you are going to be rejecting me, Jesus says, and the message of God, just like you have done with all the prophets. And with that, their mind is made up. So let me ask you a question again. Are you offended yet? And you might think, well, no, you know, this this doesn't have anything to do with me. But this text has a lot to do with you and me, more than we think. Jesus is speaking about his foreshadowing as the Messiah to come. He's speaking about the offensive nature of the message he proclaims. Jesus is telling us of the manner in which the Lord would die. And there are all sorts of things Luke is telling us is that we aren't just to be excited about this because this will ultimately end in a dark, dark conclusion. A most important point is this. What Jesus is telling us is that if you don't see with new eyes, you will not see at all. And that is something about Jesus and his message, is that it is very offensive. 
It is important to know that Jesus and his message is not just offensive to the Jews, but it's to everyone that comes under the, pro- the proclamation of that message. But a lot of people hear the message of Jesus the way the Nazarites heard it, which was simply this. God is going to enlarge our territory. He's going to forgive our debts. He's going to heal our bodies. And if he is here to do those things, we love him. We love him. We accept him. He's our Messiah. But if that is not the way it is coming, then we are offended with him. We're not just a little offended. We're scornfully offended by the way he is bringing the message. I mean, as you read through the text, you will see that Jesus came to do his And I'll repeat this because this is what he did. He came to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And like I said before, this is all tightly knitted together in that year of Jubilee. The idea that you will be released from the things is brought up twice uh, by Luke here. But the assumption from listening in the synagogue is that the Lord is going to release us from any kind of oppression. He's going to release us from any kind of debt. And when those physical things are are done, then we will finally be restored to our place as God's people in the world. But Luke will show us throughout the gospel something very different, something very difficult as well. If you don't see Jesus with new eyes, if you don't accept his message, if you don't accept his interpretation of the Old Testament, the way God is bringing about salvation, then this message will always make you stumble. And that is no different now to what it was then. His release from from poverty, captivity, will be far more personalized and spiritualized than we will think at first. I mean, this word release is used 17 times in the New Testament. 17 times, 10 of which Luke uses. And every time Luke uses this, he uses this in the referencing of forgiveness of sin. Every single time. So this is the message that he is proclaiming when he says, fulfilling in your hearing. He is offering Israel a release from their sins. And you might go, well, that's great. That's good. That's what we expect. But he is saying that my ministry will release you from sins and transgressions. And the reason they are offended is because that is not what they're looking for. They are not interested in being released from their sins. What are they interested in? They're interested in being released from everyone else's sins. Poverty, problems, oppression. And if those things can be removed, then you can be my Messiah. Then you are the one that we are looking for. If this is an issue of me having to deal with God and my own issues, then I have no desire to go forward. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus will speak of his ministry in this way throughout the Gospel of Luke. 
He will speak of it, about his suffering, about, being, about rising from the dead on the third day for the repentance and the release of sins would be, would be proclaimed throughout the nations. I mean, we see Peter in the book of Acts. In his first sermon, he mentions that, where he says, repent and be baptized for the release of your sins. And then Paul Sitting in a prison at the end of the book of Acts says that God has sent him to proclaim his message of release to the nations, release from their sins. All that is to say is that Luke is interpreting for us what Jesus means for us when he says, I have come to proclaim release, release to the people from their captivity, from their poverty, from their oppression. Because, folks, this is first and foremost what is important? Spiritual impoverishment. Spiritual need before God. Each and every one of us have a need. And as offensive as it is, the first desire is to deal with the sins of a person. Dealing with sins above poverty, captivity, sickness, oppression, and death and those things, if fixed, if you try your best to fix poverty, if you try your best to fix oppression and captivity, they will never be fully and finally fixed in this world, apart from fixing and forgiveness of sin. You see, if a blind man receives his sight and he dies, he will still die in his sins and trespasses. If a poor man becomes rich, he will die and his money will go to someone he doesn't know and he will die in his sins and trespasses. This is a greater issue at stake for which Jesus' ministry makes plain and it is aimed at because that is his aim and it becomes very offensive to those who are hearing. And while this should have been good news for Israel, they became angry. All right? Remember the shift. They were enthralled by his good news of what he said, who he came for. And then they put down the hammer. They were so upset. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been this upset wanting to throw somebody off of a cliff. But that's how upset they were. They were why were they angry? They were angry because they were not poor. Well, not in the way that they needed to think of themselves. They were not oppressed in the way that they should have seen themselves to be oppressed. You see, they thought of themselves, the bigger issue, as being a corrupt government, bad circumstances, and God would fix all these things because they loved him. Love them. And when God comes and says that he loves them and I have come to save you and I am not going to fix any of those things, they're offended. Because God owes them. So let me ask the question again. When is Jesus most offensive to you? It will be hard for us to not agree that it is when he doesn't perform for us according to our own expectations. 
You see, we internally say, you know, Lord, you owe me. You know, I have faithfully walked with you. I faithfully read your word. I faithfully followed you. I've led my family. I've, I've been faithful. And when he doesn't give us what we want, and then there's often this inner turmoil within that Israel is feeling at this point. You see, if, if they, if we had been offended at ourselves, then that good news would have been good. You see, they wanted release from exile, but they, what they forgot was what got them into exile in the first place. What got them there was an unwillingness to give release to others. They were not kind. They did not proclaim good news of grace and peace and love and kindness to their fellow man. They didn't obey God. They didn't let the land grow fallow. They, they oppressed their own people. And now that they're oppressed, they're asking God to deliver them. And they did not see themselves as the most offensive issue before God, but rather it was the other people. I mean, if you think God owes us something, if, you, if we are offended when he doesn't give you what you want, then it shows quite plainly, and I've been thinking of this often, and it is very, very true, it shows quite plainly that we do not get how poor we really are. Real sinners, broken sinners, love the gospel just like the real poor loved the year of Jubilee. But it is people with excuses, still with skin in the game, that find this news offensive. They hate it when they have to release uh, their servants, their land. There go my slaves, there go my servants, there goes my way of life. But for the slave, the year of Jubilee is wonderful. And for the brokenhearted, for the sinner, that is why Jesus has come. He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he has come for forgiveness of sins. You see, the best thing for human nature to do is to look at for what it really is, is to, be, is to be honest with who you are. You want it better than everyone else, at least in our own minds. And therefore, it is hard enough to need a Savior who releases the worst of us. And as we set ourselves up against this, to this text this morning, and as I close, we need to hear what God offers. And I want you just to be very clear about this. I'm not coming down hard on you at the end of 2021. But what God offers us in Christ is forgiveness of sin. If you're broken and poor and you see your sin as ever before you, I want you to see one thing and one thing only, Jesus, God in Jesus forgives sins. The forgiveness of sins to offensive people who have plunged themselves into captivity. And with no matter how much you have paid, how much you can say, Lord, I've been faithful, you have no idea how much you actually owe God. And if you cannot entrust yourself to him, then you don't know who you are yet. 
So I want to encourage you at the end of 2021, as you open 2022, you know, may the Lord be made known to you of who you are, of who he is. If you see yourself as poor, as broken, as needy, and you know that you have nothing to offer, that's why Jesus came. May you cast yourself on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. And may we put our hope in him as we exit 2021 and go into 2022. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you that in Jesus, Lord, we have forgiveness of sins. We have release from captivity. We have release from oppression. And we pray, Lord, that you would bind a broken heart, that you would cause us to, to come to you with all of our heart, that, that you may be found from us. Lord, I, I, I praise and I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, um, that your word is so clear, um, that your word is so, so gentle, you do not come down on us with pure judgment, Lord. It is through your word. And I pray that those who have ears to hear would hear and that they would find forgiveness in Jesus. And Lord, that you would bless them and that you would keep them and make your face to shine on them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.